Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 9, we're continuing in our series called God is Able. This phrase is not just something that the church thought of, it's also a scriptural concept. God is able is throughout the scriptures. He has the ability, he has the power to change things. And today, we're talking about that he has the ability to make us generous. When I even say those words, I know that there's uh, kind of an immediate reaction. It's something hard to talk about when we talk about giving in a church context. It can feel uh, heavy-handed. It can feel uh, guilt-inducing. It can feel manipulative. And so you may already, depending on your story and your history, feel on edge already, since we're even talking about this. And I'd love to just encourage you to stick around for a little while with us and you'll see that that is not the way that we talk about money. In fact, we should probably talk about it more than we do. We don't obsess about it. Um, I can be totally free with you this morning because I don't know what anyone gives to this church. I've kept that knowledge from myself. And so we can be free to talk about what the Scriptures say because the Scriptures actually say a lot to us about generosity. Jesus himself tells us that It's a very theological and personal thing when we talk about money, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. They're in the same place. They happen to be located together. And so I am uh, speaking about this, of course, this morning to prepare us to be generous next week. And I'm open about that because Paul is actually open about that as well. In 2 Corinthians 9, he's actually preparing the church to be generous. Just before the passage that we're going to read, he's talking to the Corinthians and he's telling them, look, I know you're generous. I've seen like what God has done in your life. I know that you're already generous people, but I wanted to send you a note just to prepare you because the Macedonians are coming, this group that is not well off and we're raising support for them. And I want you to prepare your heart. I already know your heart is there. I already know that you're generous. But I want you to take just a moment to think about and be prepared for that generosity so that it doesn't, no awkward situations are created, uh, basically is what Paul says just before this. And then he tells us the beautiful reason, theological, beautiful reason why in verse 6 through 15. Let's read these words together. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, there it is, to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes 
from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God again. So every person in this room, I'm guessing, if you thought about it long enough, you have a generous person story. You've interacted with someone, you've received some kind of generosity, you witnessed some kind of story. I hear one that is uh, relatively small, but it had a, a big impact on me earlier in my life. I was a freshman in college, and I became friends with this guy named Dan. And Dan was a couple of years older than me, and um, he and I were on a trip together with a group of other friends. So we had become friends, and we were going on this road trip. I honestly don't even remember where it was that we were going, but we were traveling together with four or five people, and we stopped at Outback Steakhouse. And um, we're finishing up our meal there, and Dan surprises us all by saying, uh, I've got the meal. Now, this is one college student to another, right? So this, the show of generosity was, uh, was really over the top for us. He said, I'll pay. And, but then something else happened. So he paid for it, and um, his show of generosity reminded me that I owed Dan some money. So he had prepaid for this road trip that we were on. He had booked the hotels. He had bought the gas. He was the one driving. And so we all owed Dan $40, uh, roughly. And so I realized when he showed this generosity, well, I, I owed Dan. So it was kind of a moment for me to like get back in his graces, right? Say, well, okay, let me pay for what I owe you at least. So I give him the two 20s that are in my wallet. He takes them. He smiles, he shrugs, and he tosses it on top of the tip. But he just paid for this dinner, and then he tossed what I gave to him on top of the tip. You know, I was like, you're going to give all of that to this server? You know, it's like, it wasn't all that great service, you know, like, um, as I remember it. Like, you're going to give all of that? It's like, if you're going to give all of that, maybe you can just give one of them back to me. You know, like, these thoughts are going through your mind, right? And he was like, they've been working hard. I used to be a server. This was Dan. Dan is a generous person. I'm still friends with him. And Dan is a beautiful person. All generous people are beautiful people. I think that is undeniable. It doesn't matter what they look like. They, they glow. There's an attractiveness. We love to be around generosity. Why is that? The Scriptures tell us reason why is because we're made in the image of God, and God loves it. That's what he says. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves that. There's something in us that's also drawn to that when we see it. How does one become beautiful like that? How does one become a cheerful giver? Because many of us are not there. Many of us struggle. Many of us, we we maybe see the world as a zero-sum game, and, and we think about uh, when people, other people gain things, whether it's wealth or notoriety or uh, reputation or anything else, or they have a family, we want a family, or whatever it is, we think, because they have that, I wish I had that, and we have to think, I can't be as well off as them. Perhaps we have a hoarding impulse where we, we take seriously everything that we get, and we 
We put it away so that we can be safe for any future occasion. Maybe we are careful to a fault. We are very careful with whatever we have. And of course, the scriptures talk about care with money and prudence. And this is none of what we say today is against any of that. But the question is, there's that kind of beautiful generosity, the kind of toss the extra $40 on the tip kind of generosity that many of us don't quite have. How do we become beautifully generous? Here's what I want us to see today. By reflecting on how we have been enriched in every way, we learn to be generous in every way. I didn't make this up. This is basically exactly what Paul says in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Enriched to be generous. This is the pattern This is the order. This is the biblical teaching, and it's not just here. It is throughout the Scriptures, this pattern. Let's go back to the founding of Israel. Abraham, the patriarch, the first one in God's chosen people by name. He calls him. This is a pagan. This is someone who has nothing to do with God. And what does God say to him? He says, I will bless you. So that you can be a blessing to the nations. In you, because of the blessing that I'm going to show you, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But it starts with God's blessing. You are enriched, Abraham. You are enriched so that you can share your riches with the world. Focus on what you receive. And then out of what you receive, you give. This is throughout the scriptures. The book of Ephesians, the book of Romans, both written by Paul, have this structure. If you read them, you will see that the first section of each book is laying out the immeasurable riches of God's goodness, the bountiful grace that he has given us, all the spiritual blessings, Ephesians says, in the heavenly places, all of it is given to you. That's the whole point of the first half of the book of Ephesians and the first half of the book of Romans. And then there is a turn in each book where it says, basically, given, (laughs) given that you have been so blessed, now walk in obedience. Now live out this walk before God. Now take the theology that I've just told you and say, and practice your faith. The same pattern is here. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you will be generous in every way. The pattern is important. The order is important. We do not earn God's approval by being generous. Let me just state that up front today. We do not earn anything with God by being generous. We demonstrate God's goodness by being generous. Because of what we've received, we give out of that abundance. Because that abundance has already been given to us in Jesus Christ. It is a reflection of our faith, not an earning of our faith. Let's be very clear. So let's just look at those two points this morning. Enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You, first, reflect on this. You have been enriched in every way. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have immeasurable riches no matter what your bank account looks like. 
Let's talk about the personal benefits that God has given to you. Paul says you've received three things. Grace, good works, and righteousness. Grace, verse 8. He says, look, and God is able. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let's focus on that grace first. This grace has been abounding to you. This is God's unmerited favor, his favor towards you. It's a free gift, the scripture says. And this is one of the themes in Paul's uh, writing here. In the last two chapters, verse, uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, grace is mentioned eight times. Paul is all about grace. He has grace on the brain. And what it results in is this all-sufficiency, he says, that word there, you might have a little footnote in your Bible, could also be translated contentment. All contentment in all things at all times. You have this ability because of God's grace. You are enriched so that you can be generous. Enriched by God's grace. Secondly, good works. He says, you're enriched in every way, which through, he says, in all things and all times you may abound in every good work. This is a result of God's grace. You are capable, let me tell you, of good works because God has made you capable of good works. So often we think about our good works as what our contribution is to the world, what our contribution is to our salvation, but the scripture says, no, God actually gives you the ability to be good. If you have goodness in you, it comes from God. It doesn't come from yourself. The scriptures actually say that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, that we're, we have to be made alive to God, and when he makes us alive, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God has prepared beforehand, Ephesians tells us. So these good works are God's grace to us. How can those who are dead do good works? Because God's grace empowers them too. And then he gives this example from Scripture in verse 9. A quote, he says, He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. This is a quote from Psalm 112. Guess what Psalm 112 is about? It's about God's blessing to the righteous man. He makes him wealthy. He gives him his blessing. And then he tells them, with that blessing, be wealthy to the poor. Be a blessing to those who are around you. The same theme is Psalm 112 that we find here, that we find in Abraham, that we find in Ephesians, that we find in Romans. And Paul isn't through quoting the Old Testament. After he says Psalm 112, he's distributed freely, he's given to the poor. He says in verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. There are two quotations hidden in there, even though they're not set off there. He's quoting Isaiah 55, almost word for word, verse 10 and 11, which says that he will supply seed to the sower and bread uh, for food. And then he quotes Hosea, chapter 10, verse 12, which is basically the same thing. This is more of an illusion, but he says, if you sow righteousness, 
God will rain down righteousness. There's a connection between the righteousness of God and the sowing that we do. And this is the third benefit, that we receive a harvest of righteousness. That comes from God. So let's review. We get God's grace towards us, enabling our good works and resulting in a harvest of righteousness. It's all God. It's all from Him from the beginning. It's so powerful. Think about that phrase, He who supplies seed to the sower. We're accustomed to thinking of our work and the the hard work that we do as coming from ourselves. But what he's teaching here is this. It may be true that we are hard workers, and there are many hard workers in the room, but we can't produce the means of our work. What do I mean? Whatever you work on is a result of having received something else. Seed goes to the sower. You may may be an amazing computer programmer, but did you build the computer that you're working on? Well, maybe you did, right? Because some people can do that, right? But did you... Did you make the plastic? Did you source the materials from the ground that ended up becoming the computer eventually? No, we don't have the means naturally in ourselves. They have to be given to us. The simplest way to think about this is that the farmer, though he works hard, still has to have seed or he won't have anything. And what the scripture says here is that God provides the seed for the sower. He gives the means of the goodness that comes, even in our hard work. Every good work in the world has a source that is not created by you. This is another picture of what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ here and a picture of that gospel. You need to please God, the scriptures tell us. But God actually gives us what is necessary in order to please him. He gives the seed for the sower through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is the good news to us, that none of us are naturally rich spiritually, that this is true of us spiritually because of what Jesus has done. Just one chapter before this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though he was rich, That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. There it is. You have the riches of Christ. You were born into poverty. You were born into this state of being far from God. But through Jesus Christ, God has shown you grace. God has given you good works to do. And he's given you a harvest of righteousness in his Son. It's amazing. Years ago, I read about this group called the, the Stradivari Society. I don't know if you know anything about violins. I don't, I'm not a pro myself. Um, but Stradivarius violins are, by all accounts, the, the greatest violins ever made. They're made 300 years ago by Anthony Stradivarius, I guess. Um, and these, these things are uh, pieces of art. They, they go anywhere between 10 to 20 million when they're traded right now, these violins. And um, I'm going to shock you with this information uh, this morning, but most violin players don't have $10 million. 
Uh, that may come as a surprise to you, but that's kind of the bare facts of the situation. So all of these instruments are owned by investors or by you know, uh, people that have them in collections or art galleries. And so they're owned by people who, by and large, I'm going to shock you again, 10 to $20 million, if you have that, chances are you don't play violin. Um, again, this is just the way that this happens. So there's a problem, though, because um, these violins have to be played in order to keep their value. They have to be played in order to continue to work. And so these people who own them can't play them, and the people who can play them can't afford them. And so we enter the Stradivari Society of Chicago, which is this group that connects the most skilled players in the world with those who own the best instruments. And so the instruments maintain their value, and the players get to play and record with and use these amazing violins. It's not a beautiful picture of what we're talking about. It's being enriched so that you can enrich others, those who have the means, they, they have these violins, they give it to others. And then the result is this harvest of righteousness, so to speak. The, the, the value goes up, the, the players are satisfied, the world is better because these two groups have come together. And that's the way the kingdom of God works. God enriches us. He enriches us in every way. Theologically, with grace and righteousness and good works, but also with means, the seed for the sower. He gives us the means of grace, some in various measures. We have different amounts of means. And yet, the calling is to all of us to use those means that we've been enriched with to bless others. So then, the summary verse in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God takes that generosity and he uses it, again with the seed analogy here, to grow even more results. Not just your personal benefits, but kingdom benefits. The first kingdom benefit is this. God's people are supplied. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. It is doing that. God's people be taken care of in a big way. And again, he's talking to the Corinthians here, who on the whole are very well-off people. And he's talking about the Macedonians who are coming to visit them, and he's raising money for them, and he's saying, look, you're going to make the people of God better off. God's people are supplied. Secondly, though, kingdom value, God is thanked. Immediately after that, he says, not only is that going to happen, the saints are going to be supplied but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is the result. When you give out of what you've been given, the result is that God is thanked. This one who supplies seed to the sower is the one who supplies all of us. It is right and good that we thank God. And so he says, this is going to have a multiplying effect. They're going to thank God. And it's going to be this beautiful thing. But not only is God going to be thanked, he's going to be glorified. The third kingdom benefit, verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. God receives glory because of this chain of events. 
They confessed the gospel of Jesus. That is the Corinthians. It led them to submit to generosity. And it resulted in all kinds of wonderful things for God's people. And Paul is so excited. He says God's going to be glorified. He's so excited that he invents a new Greek word right here. He says, thanks be to God, in verse 15, for his inexpressible gift. That word doesn't exist anywhere in Greek literature except for here. Inexpressible. He puts together some words and say, I don't know how to express this. It's inexpressible. How much we should thank God for his gifts to us. We need to reflect on that. Reflecting on how we have been enriched in every way. Whatever we have, spiritually, physically, emotionally, we have because of God. And then it leads us to the second movement, which is this. Learn to be generous in every way. With that enrichment, we are called to be generous. How should we be generous? Paul gives three adverbs that describe the way that our generosity should look in the first part of this passage. He says, first, abundantly. Verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully or abundantly will also reap bountifully. Here's the picture. Sowing farmer. The farmer sows the seed. And one perspective that you can take if you're a farmer is you can look at your seeds And you can say, well, this one will go right here, and maybe this one will go right here, and maybe this one will go right here, and you're careful with them. You put a seed there and a seed here, and it seems wise because you're being careful with your seeds. The problem is, whatever wisdom that may have in the moment, like you want a plant to grow there and you want a plant to grow there, it's not the most effective growing strategy as a farmer. To bring in the harvest, you reach into the bag and you swing it wide. You throw the seeds out. This is your strategy. You don't know where all of them will land. You don't know which ones will be effective and which ones won't be. But you grab them anyway and you swing them wide. And this is true in the old farming technique. It's true of our generosity. It should have an abundance feel to it. It should feel less like Here's the exact amount I can spare. And more like, go into the kitchen and open the cupboards and grab whatever you want because what I have is yours. That's what it should feel like. Now, we're not talking about recklessness here, of course. We're not talking about avoiding prudence. We're not talking about never saving. Those are all biblical things to do. We have to be careful to do those, but we also have to be careful not to bring in a level of exactitude in our generosity that the Scripture doesn't warrant. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully reaps bountifully. Abundantly should describe our giving. Secondly, willingly. Willingly is a word that should describe our giving. Verse 7 Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Not reluctantly. Our giving should be willing. The ideal circumstance is that when we give, 
It's with a spirit. It comes from the heart that is changed that we've talked about this morning. It's deciding in your heart. What's in your heart? Is the gospel in your heart? Is this news about Jesus that he's given you this harvest of righteousness, this grace, this, these good works prepared in advance? He's given you a mission, a calling for your life. He's given you provision. You're here this morning. You're dressed. You're fed. This is what God has done for us. Is that in your heart? And when it's in your heart, then you give willingly. What if I'm not there yet? What if I am not willing yet? I'm still feeling that stinginess, that closed-offness. Should I not give? I would say the answer to that is the same as the answer to what we'd say of lots of different things, like reading the Scriptures or praying. I don't feel like praying. Should I still pray? I don't feel like reading the Scriptures. Should I read the Scriptures? If I'm not genuine, should I continue to do the action? People ask me all the time. You should continue to do the action because this is the way that God makes us. He grows us through these means. But you shouldn't just do the action. You should pray also for the heart. When you feel distant from God, when you are caught and you don't want to read the Scripture, you don't want to be in God's Word, there's a, there's a way out that He often provides through the means of doing it. As you grow and you read, you become more and more accustomed to it, and He enlarges your heart. But don't just, don't just settle for that. We, we're not after the actions. We're after the heart that has been changed. And the same is true here. The way that we learn generosity sometimes is by doing generosity. And then we ask for the heart to accompany that. Because that is what God's design is, not reluctantly under compulsion. Third and final description, cheerfully. For God loves a cheerful giver. What would make us cheerful? Go back to step one. Reflect on how you have been enriched in every way. What God has done continues to be the reason that we do everything. And that cheerfulness, it comes with a feeling of just being rich with God. Because you are. The Bible says that Christ died to make those who are poor rich. So regardless of your circumstances, you can be a cheerful giver. Generous people feel rich uh, no matter how much money they have because they know that what they have comes from God. You don't have to be wealthy to be generous. It's a heart issue. It's not a bank account issue. We know this. One of the most generous people that I've ever known was a homeless person. And as a church, we, we helped him off the street. But I, I have personally witnessed him give away six of his last eight dollars. That's 75% of his net worth. Given. Because he's been changed by the gospel. And he has this heart. The gospel is those who are poor realize, reflect on that they are rich, and then they give away their riches, sowing it into the kingdom cheerfully, willingly, and abundantly. There's a pastor in our denomination uh, in New Orleans who I've met a number of times, interacted with, his name is Ray Kanata, and he is an, a really interesting guy. Uh, he is like an Elvis impersonator. Uh, he's a perfect guy to be a pastor in New Orleans because that's a strange place, a wonderfully, beautifully strange place. Um, he planted this church in New Orleans right after Hurricane Katrina. 
And uh, so in the early 2000s, he was there. He's committing to love the city, to be there, to plant this church. And uh, one of the ways that he decided that he would help the church is by eating at all of the independent uh, restaurant establishments in the city. And uh, there were over 800 of them. Uh, so he made this commitment that he would eat at every single independent restaurant in New Orleans. And he did. He ate at all those places. He gained a ton of weight. Then he started walking, uh, you know, to walk it off and all this stuff. So they, somebody got a hold of this story. They made a documentary of it, The Man Who Ate New Orleans. And, um, and so by the time of the documentary, he had reached 400. And I think he was in the 700 to 800 range uh, by the time, years later, that I was researching this this week. But he tells a story in the midst of going to all these restaurants and the, you got to know, if you're, I'm from the South, I grew up a couple hours from there, I know that it destroyed that city. He's going in the midst of Katrina, and he tells this story about how all the restaurants are shut down, and he's starting to plant this church, and um, he stumbles into this Sicilian-Italian restaurant, it happens to be one of the ones that are, that are open, and he meets this guy, Nino uh, Buongiorno, the owner, and uh, he describes him like this. Uh, he's got a smile that says he either wants to hug you or bury you in the back. This huge Italian guy, um, he sits down, he gives him a very limited menu, he gives him this veal parmesan, and so Ray, he describes the story, he's like overeating, like he's eating too much, he kind of goes into this trance, he doesn't know if it's spiritual, if it's physical, if it's blood sugar, but he's like, he's like dying a little bit after eating this huge meal. And, uh, Nino comes over to him, this guy that he was meeting for the first time. They become uh, really good friends later. And, um, and he, he looks at him as he is kind of coming out of this trance, and he says, you feel better? You know, like, and, um, and he's like, let me give you something for your digestion. And so Ray thinks that he's going uh, to get some antacids or something in the back. And so he's like, I don't, I don't need, I'm going to be fine. I'll be fine. And um, he comes out with a huge paper cup filled with Chianti wine. And he gives it to him to go. <laughs> like, take this with you, this huge cup of wine for his digestion. And Ray didn't know at the time that you could pretty much walk around with anything to drink in New Orleans. That's pretty much the rule. Um, and so he doesn't know what to do, so he just gulps it down in the parking lot and throws it away. But he said he learned something about the kingdom of God. This guy that he didn't know, he was there in the city to help him, right? He was there to serve this city and, and to pour out his life for, him, for it. And this huge mobster guy who just he had never even met before is so over-the-top generous. He gives him this cup filled with wine and says, welcome to our city. You know, he's telling him about his church plant and everything, this generosity of the kingdom. It's like a huge cup given to us. The kingdom of God is like that. It's a feast. It is an abundance. It's not meant to be a place for us to count things and be so careful. It is full of abundance. The way the scriptures talk about it is that it's an overflowing cup. My cup runs over, the psalmist says. What we do with generosity is we just take what God has filled up in us that runs over already and we pour a little bit of it out. That's all it is. That's what I'm calling us to, to think about, reflect on. God has filled our cups. He has given us so much. And it's not just for this week. It's not just for this campaign. It's, it's, it's for us to become beautiful, generous 
attractive people in God's kingdom. So I'm asking us to think about that as we reflect this next week on how we might give. And I include myself in that category, how we might sacrificially look at our own finances and think about giving. This isn't just a church. It's not just a uh, paycheck for me. It's not just a place uh, for us to have a few friends. As I've said from the first week, this is an outpost on the kingdom of God going to the ends of the earth, which is Phoenix, Arizona. What we do here is so big in God's kingdom, even though it's small in the eyes of many people. It's big in his kingdom because this is what he has done. He's spread to the ends of the earth. This message has gone so far. Our cups are full. If you are here this morning, it's because God has brought you in. He has given you his grace. He has given you good works, and he has given you the harvest of righteousness. He gives you the seed for whatever sowing you are doing, whatever success you have. It's from his hand. Your cup is full spiritually, perhaps financially, perhaps relationally. There could be any ways generous You know, he says, you've been blessed in every way, so be generous in every way. God has filled the cup. Let's consider how we can pour it out in generosity. Let's pray.